Total Football Show. Today, big midweek headlines. Liverpool visit Salzburg and destroy the Rebel base with a wonder strike from Salah. Can I call him an ex-winger? Chelsea have a little win that could prove very big. And no more banter as Atalanta proved there's no such thing as a free lunch. We round up all the drama and look ahead to the weekend. Arsenal, Man City and Liverpool, Watford and so much more in this Toby Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Yes, listener, never mind the ballots. Here's the Totally Football Show, also featuring hordes of people out in all conditions, putting crosses in boxes, hoping to stay in Europe, much like, you know, <laughs> Champions League match day six anyway. And still looking good after two nights doing the goal show. James Horncastle. Hi, James. Still looking good after two nights watching the goal show, Duncan Alexander. <laughs> Hi, James. And still looking good. Uh, actually, this gets a bit awkward now. But anyway, <laughs> Emma Saunders. Lovely to have you here from Hi, the James. five. A hi to you. Five Live Football Daily Podcast. Emma, did you enjoy the midweek action? Haven't seen an awful lot of it because I've not, not? Been, not been very well, Wow, James. then this will all be new to you. I'm in the right place, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> Boy, what are we going to tell you about first? We had, It was the finale of the group stage of the Champions League. Uh, eight places, half of the slots in the last 16 still to be settled. Most of the drama came on Tuesday with Liverpool through, Chelsea through, Dortmund and Leon and, and Napoli too. Big shocks elsewhere. Uh, particularly in Chelsea's group, where Ajax started off the day in top spot and ended up in the Europa League. Yeah. Did you see Frankie de Jong, who's obviously playing for Barcelona at Inter, looking at the scoreboard, seeing what his old mates had done and seeing that they'd gone out? Yeah. Poor Frankie. Poor Frankie. Well, it's a big shame for them, but terrific news for Chelsea and Valencia. Valencia, who earned their spot in the last 16 with a victory away there at the Amsterdam Arena. Ajax will be one of the big names in the Europa League. I imagine when that rolls around, uh, Chelsea looking a little bit nervous in the finale of that game at home to Lille. Well, Ajax going out means, and Valencia going through with the other results that happened this week, means that we, for the first time ever, the last 16 is made up only of teams from Germany, England, France, Spain and Italy. Yes. The big five. So that caused a bit of consternation because... I think you need a you need an underdog in there at some point. I mean, Ajax lit up the competition last right. year. Right, maybe maybe we we've got an underdog because this <laughs> yep, that's the sound there of uh, James Horncastle celebrating not having to buy lunch for. <laughs> For the uh, Totally Football Show crew and all listeners. I'd happily well, take Atalanta out for lunch. There you go. I'll extend the offer. I mean, it'll cost me a lot more money. Right. 22 players, but... The unfancy side from Bergamo, bottom of their table, bottom of the table in their group at the start of Wednesday's action, a team who had lost all of their first three games by a margin of 11 goals to two. Uh, who only had one point after four matches, going through to the last 16. Duncan? Yes, yeah, the first time a team has ever lost their first three games and gone through to the knockout round. Um, some people remembered that Newcastle did it, uh, but that was in the less pleasant era of the two-group stage um, Champions League. Which You're always... not nostalgic for that, Duncan? I don't. I mean, did anyone finish the first group stage and go, wow, I'm ready for another group stage? <laughs> uh, I didn't, certainly. So, I mean, it's amazing, but 
you know, every year you get a team. I remember City going out with a really high points total one year. You know, you had Ajax going out conceding six goals, mm. Tottenham going through having let in fourteen. So, with a six-game group, it's there's a lot there's a lot of uh, possibility for variation and randomness. And, that uh, said, Atalanta looked dead and buried. James, you maintained they'd be able to do it. You even, as I mentioned, bet lunch with us and all our listeners. We scoffed, but the sad news is scoff. we won't get to scoff. <laughs> No, I think, look, the reason why I believed in this team is because they are very good. And when the draw happened, I looked at that group and I just thought, yes, City will run away with it. But Atalanta, who have a habit of going to the big teams in Italy and upsetting them and playing a really aggressive brand of football, I just thought they could do it. And I think in some respects, this might sound crazy, it helped them knowing that they had nothing to lose um, from match day three onwards. Um, and that second half against City at San Siro was a real turning point for them, even though they couldn't take advantage of Carl Walker being in goal for the final 10 minutes. Um, there was a sense that they'd played well enough to believe that when they came against Dinamo Zagreb and they came up against Shakhtar, they could do it. And boy, they did. And the celebrations in Bergamo uh, during the game and then at the airport at 2am. It's just the kind of football story that brings us... You, you have a spontaneous smile on your face. Because mm. so, they're, they're a little club that does things the right way. They have one or two check-in moments in their past, and if you're curious about those, there is a Golazzo special all about uh, uh, the boys from Bergamo. Uh, but in, in terms of what they're going to offer in the last 16, what kind of opposition do you think they represent? I think it's going to be really interesting to see who they get on Monday mm. in the draw. Um, the, the, the issue that they faced in the first three games was that they're quite an interesting side in that they play man-to-man across the pitch. And in Serie A, it's fine because only the top teams have really good dribblers. And even then, they only maybe have one who can actually get past these kind of defenders. In Champions League, more or less everyone, you know, Shakhtar has 18 Brazilians who can capable do that. City have you know the likes of Sterling, De Bruyne and, and, and Bernardo Silva and everybody else. But they, they seem to find a coping mechanism. And I think now, again, they're just going to go into this into the round of 16 believing that anything's possible. They've got absolutely nothing to lose. They're playing not just with house money. They've already paid off their wage bill uh, from, from getting through into the, into the knockout stages. So I think that actually makes them quite a dangerous proposition to don't underestimate them, as I never did. <laughs> Indeed so. I mean, in terms of scale, for perspective, they're, would you say about the same size as Watford? Maybe a little bit smaller? Smaller budget, certainly. Oh, yeah, most definitely a smaller budget than, than Watford. Mm. Um, just by dint of, of, of geography. And I mean, Duncan referenced earlier the consternation about uh, the fact that the only teams in the knockout stages are from Europe's top five leagues. But by this, using the same logic of economic stratification, Atlanta should be locked out of their own top four in Serie A because that wage bill that we've mentioned is mid-table in Serie A. It's not fifth or sixth and there's just been some kind of random happening that's allowed them to get in. Right. They've massively punched above their weight consistently over, what, four years now where the first team was broken up and picked off and all the best players went away and they've rebuilt and gone again. They stuck with the team this year that got them into the Champions League. And again, it wasn't like they just finished fourth. They finished third last year. So it's quite remarkable stuff, really. And Gasparini, the coach, already made an honorary citizen of mm. Bergamo. I mean, the statue's next, James. The statue's right. next. And, of course, uh, next to him on the plinth, 
you'd hope would be, and it would take a little bit less metal as well, would be Papu Gomez, Papu. the diminutive uh, a genius who may well, uh, research suggests, have invented the floss dance, but yeah. certainly was absolutely key in their resurgence in the uh, Champions League. I don't know if he actually did, Duncan. Cause he he did. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll bet you lunch. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Meanwhile, other Champions League news from the other end of Italy saw Napoli going through to the last 16 with a 4-0 win over Genk. And, as you might expect, firing the manager straight afterwards. Duncan, you have some stats on related managerial... just that it was quite a weird Champions League this year for for managers. So you had Ancelotti, you know, Napoli get through, he gets the sack. You had Bayern recording the best ever group by anyone. Six wins out of six, the biggest goal difference. You know, changed their manager halfway through. Tottenham got through, they changed their manager halfway through, even right. lost 7-2. Um, you had Frank Lampard, the first English manager to get through a group stage, having managed all the games since Harry Redknapp in 2010-11. So, right, Genk. Genk, yeah. yeah I mean... <laughs> yeah. They did. Yeah. yeah, you can't forget Genk. Um, but yeah, it was quite a, you know, in a in a group stage that maybe didn't have some of the big players playing as well as they have done, say your Cristiano Ronaldo's. Um, the managers kind of took centre stage. Anyway, uh, Ancelotti out then, and uh, do you want to just quickly explain for anyone who's been hasn't been following this why it was that after second place in the league last year and qualification for the last sixteen this season, the club decided to boot him out? Well, you don't go against the president. Uh, which is one of the things that he did, even though their relationship remains amicable. Um, the president went on the radio before the Salzburg game, said, boys, whatever the result, you're going to be staying at the training ground. You're not going to see your wives. You're not going to see your girlfriends. Um, and Ancelotti took issue with that and came out and said he disapproved, um, which was the wrong move. Um, he then decided to honour the president's word. The players didn't follow him. They mutinied. Um, and I think we should clarify that they mutinied against the club, not against Carlo Ancelotti. There's been a lot of speculation about him losing the dressing room, um, a little bit like what happened at Bayern. That didn't happen. And Ancelotti's been very clear that when you don't win a game in nine games and you've come out at the start of the season and said second's no longer enough, we have to be winning the title this year, and they're miles off, that a manager in that kind of situation is inevitably going to be up for discussion when it comes to whether he should stay or be fired. And he was fired. They went for that option and have brought in Rino Gattuso, the growler, Ringio. Yes. Uh, Ancelotti, a lot of people linking him with Everton and Arsenal, just in a word. See either of those happening? His candidacy will be pitched to both clubs. Okay. (laughs) I mean, in in lunch terms, you're not going to stick any meals on that happening. I think Arsenal are looking for a different profile of manager, but of course, as we know, whether that manager becomes available or not uh, remains to be seen. They'll obviously have to keep monitoring what happens with Freddie Jundberg. If results don't get any better and deteriorate, then they might actually think, what are our options on the market? Right. And I don't think Carlo Ancelotti is by any means someone who's finished at the top of the game. Uh, Arsenal are at the top of the game anymore to begin with. Um, but... There's a lot of discussion about whether his tactics are out of date, whether his methods are old-fashioned. They're not. Yeah, Our colleague Raphael Honigstein does point out, and he's right when he points this out, that the intensity at some of the training sessions and the sophistication of some of the training sessions at Bayern was not what Bayern players had come accustomed to under Pep Guardiola. But I think if you look at um, his 
tactics at Napoli, the way he sets that team up, it is very avant-garde. He is someone who's moved with the times, has been able to stay updated in a way that some of his peers have not. So I think he's still a relevant manager and I think he can still do a very good job at that, the highest level. Of the right. Game. Whether he'd be the man to kind of put the pieces back together at Arsenal is something that they'll be having a look at. And Arena Gattuso taking over. We'll discuss what kind of prospect uh, Napoli are going to be under his the tutelage, perhaps in next week's uh, Tuesday edition of the Toby Football Show, when we'll be having a look at the draw, which is taking place Monday morning, of course. We'll, uh, we'll have the Goal Show crew plus Alvaro Romeo. Uh, with their reaction to who got who. Who do you like, though, Duncan, out of the last 16? Who who do you fancy? Uh, Liverpool, I know, the reigning champions, but they they did very well. But, you know, that was quite a tricky fixture. In the first 20 minutes, they were under the cosh, um, and they handled it really well. And I think a few Liverpool fans have pointed out that um, you know, Naby Keita's come in the last couple of games. Uh, they've kept two clean sheets. Their XG conceded is actually lower when he's in the team. So he's got this reputation of being, you know, maybe losing the ball a bit in midfield. But I think in terms of linking the defence and the attack, he's he's a really good player. And, you know, with all the games this month for them and with Fabinho's injury, I think it's going to be a big month for him. Wonderful goal from Mo Salah, uh, which, uh, Emma, did you, were you able to catch that? Yes, I have seen that numerous times on social media over the last 24 hours or so. In fact, I read an article about it and someone has sat down and done the maths uh-huh. at, and the physics as such at just how difficult goal it was to score. Um, apparently he had something like... 1.3 metres to aim at. Really? When you think how fast he was running, yeah. that is quite impressive. With on an, his, on an angle of... As well, no? yeah. It's about the same as Luke Skywalker had in the first Death Star, isn't it? I think. <laughs> right. No, I think it genuinely is. An yeah. explosion heard across Europe. Well, there was an explosion from uh, Erling Haaland. Did you see this? Wonderful scene as the uh, teenage goal prodigy of Rebel Salzburg. So furious was he that he went across uh, to the sideline, asked for a water bottle so that he could throw it on the ground in disgust. Wow. Somebody Dramatic. throws the bottle, he just throws it straight down at the ground. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Liverpool going through. There were loads of goals from some of the other clubs who'd already gone through. Uh, Leon, they they made their way through. Borussia Dortmund did as well. Inter crashed out in classic Inter fashion uh, to uh, the kind of Barcelona, baby Barcelona uh, team. Uh, anyone grabbing your, your eye from the top? Just, the just on the Inter note, I did enjoy Luke Shaw mm. trolling. Lukaku. Oh, what do you back. say? So I think when Lukaku went to Inter, he uh, tweeted in October time, uh, UCL with a smiley face because he was so pleased to be back in it. A little dig at United there. And let's not forget, I think him and Luke Shaw clashed a little since he was it. He released something yeah, about um, released it was their pace stats Luke, or something, yeah, wasn't Luke it? Shaw's running and data. Luke, yeah, and he was let's say in the lower reaches um, of that list. Uh, so those two, I'm not sure, like each other much anyway. But Luke Shaw. Uh, saw this golden opportunity. Was it last? Uh, yeah, last night to tweet, "Welcome back." Ha! Well, of course coffee. they could be meeting each other in the Europa exactly. League. The draw, exactly. The draw for which I assume will be on Monday as well. Highest scoring group stage ever. Did you see that, Duncan? Did yeah, two by two. You, you guys were all over it as <laughs> live as it happened. Yeah, it was emotional. I'm not going to lie, we were pretty, pretty fired up about that. All right. Well, you know what? There are a lot of stories. We'll touch on some more of them as this show progresses. But up next, I feel like we should get onto the Premier League weekend. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keeper's let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. 
But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeCumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. This weekend, listener, Premier League drama as top takes on bottom in Liverpool-Watford. Woof. Curiously, there's also, in the course of the weekend, second top v second bottom uh, when uh, Leicester take on Norwich. And Sunday, 4.30 is the time to tune in and watch Arsenal hosting Man City. Shall we start with that one? Emma, are you excited about Arsenal-Man City? Uh, yes. Did yes. you see Arsenal getting that win as they did on Monday? I did. It was bizarre, wasn't it? Well, it just I just found it a really weird turnaround. I mean, it all it all sort of started after Martinelli's goal. But if he hadn't have got that goal, I'm not sure it would have happened. Because did Lundberg do anything that tactical? Some some might argue that Xhaka was slightly moved towards the left, which made a bit of a difference. But I think it was uh, it was Cresswell going off for West Ham, which basically changed the game. Um, okay. Until that point, Arsenal had had I think two shots in the first sort of 50 minutes of the of the match, and yeah, like you said, I mean, look, it looks. Like they weren't going to get back into it at all. No. And then when you've got a front three as as good as that front three are and were, um, they you know they could score three goals pretty quickly, which is what they did. But I don't think it. I don't think it implies a new dawn for Arsenal. Though. All right. Is this correct, Duncan? This stat I've read that this was the first time that Arsenal have come from behind at half time to win in an away game in eight years. It is, yeah. Um, They've not been very good for a while. Right. Okay. Uh, but this is a terrific uh, result as they head into the game with Man City. Uh, briefly, where does it leave West Ham? Some suggestion now that Pellegrini's last chance to save his job is going to be this weekend away at Saints with Enzo Maresca possibly stepping up as an interim manager. Horncastle's laughing over there. But... Yeah, I was reading this. Apparently, he it was Enzo that effectively masterminded that win mm. over Chelsea. Right. So, this, as per Jacob Steinberg in The Guardian. Yes. Mm. So whilst there's question marks over whether this could be Pellegrini's last game in charge, I'm just wondering how in charge he is at the moment anyway. Right. Rumours as well that the board at West Ham are now um, consulting the players with how they feel about the management situation. Right. And by all accounts, Mr. Mr. Enzo is very popular. Is he? With the players, yeah. Okay, why were um, you tittering at that, James? Well, no, I tried to interview Enzo a few weeks ago uh-huh. before the Turin derby. Right. He, um, a match that he's absolutely famous for. Yeah, because he's he's not popular with uh, Torino fans because he scored a goal in that fixture and famously marmed being a bull, which right. is the symbol of Torino. Right, but it's it also the gesture that he the did cornuto. is, is uh, yeah, about the worst one you can do. Yeah. Putting, you know, the two and so Torino then attempted to sign him later in his career. That's and how upset were, they were. There were protests and it basically stopped it from happening. Right. So, mm. great guy. Nice. Uh, now, anyway, all right. Well, Arsenal, buoyed by this 3-1 win, will be taking on a Man City side who ended their own rotten run of results with a 4-1 victory midweek in Zagreb. James, I know this was one of the games that you were keeping they went half behind an eye. to an incredible goal. Mm. I mean, I know that City haven't kept a clean sheet what since the end of October, um, but I mean, there's little you can do about that. Strike Danny Olmo, Danny Olmo, yeah, one of the stars of the Under Twenty One European Championship in the summer of Spain won that. And again, you look at it, just as we're getting reports after the end of the group stage of, for example, Liverpool perhaps going after Minamino at seven minutes. You look at Olmo and you think. He's actually done very well in this Champions League. 
still in still in uh, Croatia, still in Zagreb. Uh, doubt he will be for long, though, James. Interesting. What did you make of Man City, Duncan, midweek? Gabriel Jesus with a hat trick. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it was classic Jesus, you know, scoring away from home. That's all he does now. I mean, he'll go, he'll go to Arsenal this weekend as the top scoring player in the Premier League who's only scored in away games. What? Yeah, this season. And we'll probably face the top scoring player who's only scored in home games, which is uh, Alexandre Lacazette. So, I mean, we're all, we're all fans of home and away at one point, but um, I don't, I'm not sure Donald Fisher is going to be in attendance. But. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's niche content right there. Um, all right. Which is a stronger? Which is a stronger streak? What's your feeling? I would say, well, Lacazette's. He's very much. This has been the story of his entire Premier League career. I think, right. you know, eighty-five percent of his goals in the Premier League have come at, at home. Right. Um, so, and I think obviously scoring away from home is theoretically harder. Um, so, I would say it's more impressive for Jesus. But I mean, they'll both want to mix it up. I'm sure. I'm sure they will. Arsenal, though, this is if they were to get a result here against the City team, who in their last three visits to the Emirates in League and Cup. Of one uh, three times with an aggregate score of eight goals to nothing, Emma. Mm. Do you see Freddie Lundberg pulling something out of the hat here? No. If City go and even draw this game, yeah. drop more points, yeah. what is going to happen to Pep Guardiola? The man's going to combust. I enjoyed Pep's look in midweek. Yeah. Very hip hop. Well, I think that's a good point in terms of what will happen because who sat on the bench next to him? Mikel Arteta, who could be the new Arsenal manager, who could be the new City manager. So what's he going to do in the game? You know, he might be like, oh, boss, let's make a substitution that will make us lose because that could help me. I don't know. I'm not casting aspersions on Mikel Arteta in any way. Extraordinary. (laughs) Conflict of interest, Mm. says Duncan Alexander. Brilliant. Well, that's going to be a game to watch 4.30 Sunday afternoon. All sorts of storylines there. The weekend begins... Uh, with a fearsome first game in charge for Watford's Nigel Pearson as he takes his Hornets up to Anfield. They've done so well there. Over <laughs> the take years. on Liverpool. Now, Emma, the, the last new manager you had was Kike Sanchez-Flores and his first away game was, what, Man City, wasn't it? How did that go? Yeah, not so well. 8-0. You... On a bright side, surely, though, it can't get any worse than that. Do you, it? But you, do you think it's going to be one of those days? It could be. Historically, it's not a very easy place for us to go. I remember very clearly a few years ago when we lost there, 6-1. Right. Um, I was listening to the game in my car, stopped yes. at a service station. In the time it took me to get petrol and buy a Kit Kat, I'd right. come out and we'd conceded another two goals. Extraordinary. Is this Watford's so, talent? Because that happens with like City as well. Collapsing. Just, you know, yeah. See, th- this is the key. Since that 6-1 right. um, against Liverpool, I think there's been... Two five nils and a three nil. Yeah. So I think this weekend manager bounce would be three nil, two nil defeat. I'll, I'll take a two nil. Yeah. Wow. Can I just um, come in on Monday's podcast when uh, Mr. Michael Cox was saying that Pearson had no real impact on on Leicester winning the title? Right. Yeah. No. Please do, Michael, if you're listening. Uh, but no, just I think I, no one can really explain why it happened. Yes. But the la- the last couple of months of that Leicester season, they were playing in the same way and at the same level as they did for the first half of the following season. Yeah. So, I mean, Pearson wrestled James MacArthur on the pitch. There was the Richard the <laughs> Third angle. Yeah. You're an ostrich. And obviously, Richard the Third, War of the Roses, the Battle of Barnet, which was quite a key uh, battle in the war, quite close to what. Seriously, was there a Battle of Barnet? Yeah. Didn't involve Martin Allen either, which was surprising. <laughs> um, so, I mean, 
Watford fans can hang on to the fact that Pearson's kind of, uh, you know, Plantagenet connections could kick in pretty hard. This right. Time. Well, so, Emma, last time you were on here, you were being quite circumspect about the new manager. But I think you thought it was going to be Chris Hutton. I knew you were going to say that. Did I Did I say that once, No, James? you didn't, but you no. didn't say it wasn't going to be, and that was kind of the inference I yes. drew. Uh, did you think it was going to be Chris Hutton? No. Is this an upgrade? Or were you expecting this? Hang on. Upgrade on Is Hewson. Nigel Pearson a... Yeah. Yes. It is? Yes. You have to say that, don't you? The, the man um, loves a dog fight. Well, Lit- literally. In the well, yeah. Carpathians. Literally. Wild dogs and the Carpathians. So... But He's got you, another one on his hands. What was it, seven wins in the last seven nine? nine. Yeah. In, in that it's season awesome. when everyone thought Leicester and that, were going that down. that is the kind of form Watford are in need of right now. Right. They they basically a massive kick up the arse, and this is the man that's going to give it to them, and, Jim. And we've said it before, Watford's underlying numbers aren't that bad this season. They've been either the most wasteful finishers or the unluckiest finishers in the league. It, it will get better at some point. And, Tom, and uh, Tommy Mooney, that would be good if he was back. <laughs> um, Troy Deeney is now back. Um but get Tommy Mooney back. Tommy Mooney under Nigel Pearson, that is something I would He like. He scored the winner for you, didn't he, at Anfield in, in 99. There we yeah. are. Yeah, it's, <laughs> all... it's all coming together. <laughs> have you um, have you met Nigel yet? No, okay. I'm told he's got a very, very firm handshake, though. I imagine he would do. I'd be disappointed if it was in any way not firm. No. You've lost your last five away against Liverpool by an aggregate score of 20 goals conceded and one uh, scored. Could Liverpool get complacent here? Oh, it's possible, you isn't know, it? With that lead, with the fact they've qualified for the Champions League, they've right. got the, World Club, the Club World Cup That's coming up. That's the question, isn't it? I, I would like to point out, yes. it was only a few years ago that Watford did beat Liverpool 3-0. And that Watford side yeah. had Ben Watson and Alan Neal in it. So, will they be in the Avengers United? Will they possible? Right, OK. As you say, though, fixture congestion, we're all aware of Liverpool's busy calendar. They've got the League Cup quarter-final with Villa after this on Tuesday and then their first fixture in the World Club's Cup on the Wednesday. The team will have departed, I presume. Well, they're having two teams. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of rotation. A lot of rotation. So uh, there you go. Is Pearson going to get a lot of money to strengthen? You've got uh, United at home, Sheffield United away and then Villa at home after Anfield. Uh, I imagine so. The, the main thing they need is a, a centre half, really, in in the window. But this is this is the argument all along. On paper, Watford squad ain't so bad. I think it's just a case of uh, with a number of teams in the Premier League at the moment, they just need their heads bashing together a little bit, a bit right. of confidence. You need to do better, and you need one or two other teams to do a lot worse. We'll be looking uh, shortly at some of the teams who you might be targeting in terms of overtaking. Uh, Right now, though, this. Hey, it's a second v second bottom, too, this weekend, as Leicester, who are ready to pounce should Liverpool wobble uh, v Watford, host the team immediately above the Hornets in the table, Norwich. Leicester won the last eight matches by an aggregate score of 25 goals to three. That's pretty good. Vardy, consistently scoring nine... Oh, sorry, eight games in a row... Who do you think is going to have the bigger scoreline this weekend? Leicester-Norwich or Liverpool-Watford? Leicester-Norwich. Yeah? Yeah. I just think Norwich will play a bit more of an open brand of football. Whereas, dare I say it, I don't think the damage is going to be too bad at Anfield. Right. I've put it out there. Okay. I mean, Duncan is a... um, an XG fetishist. Um, you know, you've seen how Leicester have kind of overperformed their XG. Are you expecting them to regress here? 
Not against Norwich, no. no. Um, I mean, obviously, Jamie Vardy's on this run. He's now on eight games in a row he scored. His own record is 11. Mm. It's going to be a big Christmas for the family of Jimmy Dunn. Do you remember him? Who got uh, dug up, not literally, um, when, uh, when, when Vardy beat Van Nistelrooy's Premier League record. Um, so, I mean, I think Vardy is one of the reasons that Leicester do outperform their XG. All right, that makes sense. Okay. Situation, by the way, down the bottom is... Watford, six points from safety. Norwich, two points above them currently. Then you've got Saints and Villa, six points above Watford. West Ham and Bournemouth, seven points higher up. And Everton, eight. Everton, though, perhaps moving away from the danger zone. Bournemouth, who are only one point above the bottom three and are missing an entire first team and have lost their last five matches, will be visiting Chelsea. So that might be a team that Watford could could have a look at overhauling. Chelsea, who looked a little bit shaky, as we mentioned, against Lille on Tuesday, but did get the win. Their, their form hasn't been wonderful of late. You'd fancy them for this game, though? You against... would, although uh, Bourne, the one big team Bournemouth seem to be able to beat fairly regularly is Chelsea. Hmm. Um, since they've come up to the Premier League, only Liverpool have beaten Chelsea at Stamford Bridge more than Bournemouth have. So there's an outside chance. You know, this is the point. Bournemouth have lost five games in a row. That seems to be the point when they're then they'll now win three in a row and magically be 12th again. So, But yeah, I, you'd imagine Chelsea would win, but maybe not. Maybe not. I think if you're a Bournemouth fan at this point, you're probably looking at the table and just doing the simple maths that there are probably three teams that are worse than them. That is, for me, the only reason they're probably not going to be in trouble this season. There are three worse. But this injury problem is a huge problem. Um, and most of those key players aren't going to be back until the new year. But then saying that, they've got a really critical period after the new year, six or seven games on the chop, Bournemouth, where they can put this right. Right, they are so decent think, fixtures on the yeah, way. Yeah, but between now and Christmas, it's just going to be a case of trying to stay afloat um, without without all these key players that they're missing. I mean, Chelsea have only won two of their last six I think you mentioned how jittery they kind of looked against mm. Lille. Let's not forget, it is still a very young team. And this is the first time, really, um, that a lot of them are going to be playing on this kind of regular basis throughout right. this kind of Christmas period. Might have to intervene in, in January. Or maybe they've already had a little bit of defensive reinforcement this week with the return of Antonio Rudiger, mm. a man who... We'll add a little bit of presence, a little bit of personality to that jittery back line. Yeah, and he loves nothing more than a uh, a raking ball from the back as well. He loves that diagonal mm. as well. So diag. it gives him another option. The diag, yeah. So I think uh, adds another option, certainly for uh, for Chelsea. I've always rated Rudiger. I think he's... I rate. Got, got the same pack, birthday right? as me, which I always... Oh, really? Any footballer who's got the same birthday as you, you always keep What birthday that is that, Duncan? Uh, March the 3rd. March the 3rd. Mm. Uh, Villa, who are also in trouble, currently just goal difference above the bottom three, are at Sheffield United. Villa actually lost five of their last eight, so that's not good. First meeting in the top flight between these two clubs for 12 years, although they did have two great games in the Championship last season. 3-3 at Villa Park, and then a 4-1 win for the Blades in the equivalent fixture at Bramall Lane. Sheffield United haven't won consecutive Premier League games since Grandstand was taken off air. So that's I'm not- sorry? They haven't won two games in a row in the Premier League. Since Grandstand went off air. When did Grandstand go off air? Uh, at some point in the past, quite a long time ago. So right. it's, it's been a while. Obviously, they haven't been in the Premier League for a while. But um, yeah, so maybe they'll win and maybe Grandstand will be back. That, that would be amazing. We could hear this again.
grandstand theme as uh, dropped by Fatboy Slim at some point uh, last right. year to some millennials. Although, let's be honest, millennials are older than people think. Great bit of music anyway. Now, um, that is Villa and a pretty full preview of their clash away at Bramall Lane against Sheffield United. Huge game in the relegation race as Saints and West Ham face each other. Saturday tea time. Southampton who'd been on a terrible run of form at St Mary's, have actually won their last two at home. West Ham have only taken four points from the last 24, three of those in that apparently Enzo Moresco masterminded victory against Chelsea. All looking very sad for Bellegrini. Is this going to be quite a grim game, do you think? Yes. Well, I think both teams will, will know. that It was a bit like the Southampton-Manchester United game last season when both teams knew that uh, it, you know a defeat was... Pretty terminal for their manager. Right. Um, I mean, a bit like Watford, Southampton can argue they're the unluckiest team in the Premier League, I would say. Um, Danny Ings, in particular, has already scored f- in five games right. where he's then lost the match. Is that bad luck? Well, it's, he's doing his bit. And, you know, Southampton have possibly the ultimate player for that was Matthew Letizia, the only player mm. to score hat-tricks in defeats more than once in Premier League history. So right. they do sort of suck, absorb bad luck down there. I, right. I hate to burst the Southampton bubble. Oh dear. But you mentioned this bounce they've had. Did the, I? The two wins. Oh yeah, that, yeah. They're against Norwich and Watford. Yes. The two other not very good teams in the Premier League. Right. And there's going to be you three. Were saying, there's you... going to be three into the season. Right. Could Southampton be the third is all I'm going to say. What are, you, what are you saying? They are at the moment. Southampton, Norwich and Watford. Hmm. Mm. As for West Ham, not sure if it inspires the players or otherwise to know that their manager might be gone if they lose this game, if he's not... Yeah, I mean, conjecture there. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends how he himself handles it, I suppose. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti knew that he was going to get replaced uh, in midweek and uh, was still able to oversee the biggest win that uh, Napoli have ever had in the Champions League. So clearly West Ham are going to go to St Mary's and rock up and score four goals and, and win triumphantly and Enzo Moresco will step over poor old Matt Pellegrini and, you know, there you go. Wow, we shall see. Uh, Pellegrini, I imagine, will get another job somewhere. China? Well, yeah, he can always go back to China. Yeah. Just, you know. You Doesn't go. look that Rafa Benitez will be coming back, though. Even I mean, he was uh, a guest of Monday Night Football, uh, a very good one as well. And he was very keen to point out how he wants to uh, complete this project with Dali and Yifang. Uh, he's got, what, two years on his contract. So we'll have to see. Well, okay. If it's football Sunday at 1.30 or after, you can't say fairer than Everton's trip to Man United. What a fixture this looks like being. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has, of course, in the past week, outwitted Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola. Now, boss level, can he beat Big Duncan? Well, it's a DNA classico, isn't it? Because he's got United DNA. Duncan Ferguson is riddled with Everton DNA. And, right. I mean... What's going to happen? Let's hear some of that Everton DNA in action. Stretch for Hinchcliffe. Michael's lost it and Ferguson scored again. He's tormenting Manchester United. Wow, the sweet sound there of Big Duncan scoring. Uh, two goals in six minutes at Old Trafford. Of course, he had a terrific record against United as a player. Everton actually won the last meeting of these two teams 4-0. That was a good ascent of Italy in April, but still. And this was the lowest point of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's time in charge of Manchester United. It was very much kind of, I don't like that. I don't want to see any more of that. Mm. And this will be the kind of reason for the clear out that we're going to affect at United 
um, in the summer because they were completely outplayed throughout this 4-0 after an hour, I think. Um, and not the Manchester United um, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was talking about when he says we are Manchester United, uh, not the one that he wanted to see. Right, well, what we are Man United seems to be at the moment is a, a team that will have like 27% possession, as they did in the derby, but can hit teams on the break. Is this the kind of fixture that plays to their strengths then? I don't know if it is. Like we, We've identified now that United are this team that are most effective on the counter. Um and, and out of possession, essentially. But Everton's possession stats against Chelsea, I think they only had something like 30% of the ball. Mm. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't know if I can see Everton being that side that's going to that's gonna do, do that and fall, fall into United's hands tactically. Both teams are going to want the other team to have the ball, so we could be in for a real, yeah. real treat of, <laughs> yeah, to me, to you. Uh, Everton looking like an entirely different team after... Duncan Ferguson's arrival. We mentioned on Monday the tackling stats that they they put up, and all round the word intensity was used a very mm. great deal. Well, I think that's what you saw in both of these two teams' last games: the mm. intensity of United in the Manchester derby, and then of Everton. So it could be quite the duel if right. they bring the same energy to this. Crikey! Some or big not? Dunk energy. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, three goals in three for Richarlison, eh? Your old friend Richarlison, Emma. Yes. From, Our from old the friend Richarlison. Is it? Well, Watford take these things seriously, don't they? It is interesting that um, Big Dunk got a tune out of him because he's sort of Marco Silva's angel child. Glad you went with angel child. Um, yeah, but um, perhaps he's finally going to be this centre forward that he wants to be, and Marco Silva was sort of grooming him into. I'm not sure. All right. Perhaps so. Duncan, do you have any stats on one of the up-and-coming players from the Man United squad, Scott McTominay? Mm, well, it was notable Jose Mourinho was very keen to point out how he had developed McTominay right. uh, in his time at United. Um, he's the fourth most fouled player in the Premier League this season, which is a thing. But if you look at the players above him, Jack Grealish... Wilf Sahar, James Madison, they're very much right. kind of creative players. You can imagine how they get fouled quite a lot. Right. McTominay's more just... You Gets know, in the way a lot. Just, yeah, and he's and he, you know, he's gone from a kind of slightly amusing manager's player of the season figure under Mourinho to probably one of the key players in the United team. Right. Um, and they have improved since he's come back from injury. So, yeah, he uh, an abrasive Scotsman will appeal to both benches, I imagine. Right, indeed so. Is there a metric that, that uh, can evaluate how well Jesse Lingard's doing similarly for Man United? Because we all saw the, the the joke about another month's gone by, he still hasn't scored or assisted. Yeah, I feel partly responsible. Well, I say partly, I feel entirely responsible for that. Um, obviously, he all of Lingard's assists and goals last season came in December. Right. Um, which is nice. But yeah. he hasn't recorded and since one then, since. Nothing. I mean, he came close against City. Right. Uh, but he, he did play a, a, a very influential role. Yeah, he was good. I mean, it, this is where... You know, you shouldn't really judge players purely on goals and assists. They're, they do two other things. So, you know, he he's another player that when when he plays well, United tend to play well. So, yeah, he does look like his form's improved a bit. Okay. So, there uh, is a stat that we can offer about Marcus Rashford, and that's 13 in his last 14 for United and England. His biggest ever goals tally for an entire season previously was 13. So, Rashford doing the business. All right. Do you care to call that game? Man United, Everton, James? United will win. Big call from the man who told us that Atalanta would make the last 16. Yeah. Also coming up this weekend, a bunch of other games, including Tottenham's trip to Wolves. We'll get on to that after this. 
That Man United Everton game, by the way, I said one thirty. It's not. Mm. It's two o'clock. One thirty was the old Sunday kickoff mm. time. They do shift around. I thought of this emotionally this week when like, Remy scored because he's possibly scored the best ever Premier League goal in a ten past four kickoff. Okay. Um, for QPR against Wigan a few years ago. Um, not not a massive, you know, amount of people to try and beat, but look up the goal. It's good. We had a great Loic Remy quiz question at BT yesterday. Because he came, he became one of seven players to score for and against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in the Champions League. So seven players have done it. Yeah. Can you name the other six, Emma or Duncan? Or you, listener, do you fancy a pop of this? Like Remy's done it. Deco? No. There's only one in the current squad. Okay, you know what? We'll part that, and at the end of the show, we'll see if you can... Uh, you have a think... But uh, while you're doing that, let's just have a quick chat about another game that's taking place at 2 o'clock on Sunday, and that is Wolves-Spurs. Spurs, of course, who uh, midweek had that 3-1 defeat at their old friends uh, Bayern Munich. Doesn't affect their place in the last 16. But maybe one or two little pointers there from Jose Mourinho, who made wholesale changes to his uh, starting lineup, leaving out the likes of Deli Alley and uh, Kane and Vertonghen and Aurier. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon got his first start and scored a lovely goal. What about this fixture, though, at the weekend, which is clearly Mourinho's priority? Tricky one, because huh? Wolves have on the longest unbeaten run in the league after Liverpool, what is it, 11, 11 games now. Mm. and Very much a meeting of the kind of Mendes, kind of Jose, Nuno. That, would they be friends, the two Portuguese managers facing off? It sounds like they get on. I think last time they met each other, um, Nuno was quite complimentary. He said that he taught him how to win, which nice. Jose um, might, might regret ahead of this weekend. <laughs> right. Oh, Jose said that he taught Nuno how to win. No, Nuno said that Jose taught him how to win. Oh, OK. Yeah. Right. Good for him. I mean, there is a possibility of a slight crack in the in the Wolves' happiness with Raul Jimenez semi-hinting this week that he wouldn't be averse to a move to another club, poss- oh. possibly back to Spain, So, or maybe to a bigger club in the Premier League. So maybe he's now in the shop window, as it said. Mm. Um, and obviously Spurs will have had an extra day's rest and rested quite a lot of players, right. although Wolves will have done similar. So, I mean, this feels like a kind of, very much a kind of game with both teams could finish fourth. So, you know... Well, they're currently sixth and seventh, separated by only one point. And uh, Wolves lying five points, Spurs six points outside the top four. So yeah, there's a lot riding on it from that point of view as we head towards the transfer window, which... Well, and also as, as Spurs, after this, this game, they will head to... Or they will play Chelsea as well. Right. So quite a big double header coming up. Mm. OK, it's the kind of fixture that Wolves have traditionally shone in of non-Big Six teams, they have the best record against Big Six opposition. Mm. Right. Yeah, 21 points against Big Six teams since the start of last season. But they've not faced a rehabilitated, pumped-up moo. Right. They have what James Horncastle would term Big Six energy. He would. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a big game, that for Spurs away at Molyneux. Duncan, a, a final thought on that? I think Spurs are going to win. I think they're... Really? Yeah, I think they're on a, they're on a roll. Crikey. I... I I take the opposite view myself, but I guess we'll find out this weekend. Burnley are taking on Newcastle Saturday mid-afternoon in another of those no-you-have-the-ball non-possession derbies.
Yes, well, it involved Newcastle, and I yeah. think this is going to be the sports direct fixture of the weekend. Right, because, direct. Yes, you, yeah. Yeah, Burnley 21.6%, Newcastle 19.7% of their passes have been long this season. So right. they, they like it in the channels. Here's a stat, since we're doing them. Newcastle's average possession figure this season is 32.8. It's the lowest in the league. They're the only team that's never had this season more than 50% possession. Incredible. But, and yet, uh, in the last six games, only what Liverpool and Leicester have had a, a better record than them since. It's James. extraordinary. So, you know. Third in the form table, yeah. They've taken 13 points. Do you reckon they're going to take three points at Turf more? Newcastle, yes. I actually think Burnley might be in a little bit of trouble, but they've kind of gone under the radar. Three defeats on the bounce now. And yes, they beat Watford before that, but they were poor, very poor in the first half of that game. Um, and they took literally the three chances that they had at Vicarage Road. Um, Dice has said he thinks their three defeats is just down to being punished when they've made mistakes. But mm. like I said, they were doing the same at Watford. Watford just didn't have the ability to punish them, punish them that day. And I think Newcastle, even without St. Maximan, will. Is he definitely out of this game then? Was it a hamstring issue? Yeah, he's definitely out. Oh. Um, it should be a straightforward switch with Atsu. I'm not okay. sure. They've got John Joe Shelby in terrific form. He scored three and three, is it? Mm. Yes. Oh. The other thing to note in this game, the man yeah. in the middle, Tim Robinson, uh, will be making his top flight debut as a referee. I have seen him hold the board up as the fourth official at Watford, which okay. he did How quite. Did he, he did quite well. So, uh, yeah. Did he go for straight up or did he rotate? Rotate. Or? Yeah, classic. Yeah. I like the kind of rotate. Mm. Very much kind of old boxing kind of ring girl. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Some unexpected detail, but much appreciated, Emma. Newcastle, if they win this. They could be fifth. That's right, fifth, going to Sunday. Well, that was the sort of thing that got Alan Pardew an eight-year contract. So here we go. Indeed. Chris Wood update, Duncan? Uh, he's still leading the building materials top scorers um, and looking good to dominate that sector for some okay. time to come. For the, for the farmyard outhouses uh, goals race, Ashley Barnes is uh, sadly not of this. He's, he's, he's not... He's off games, isn't he, for this one? Mm. Yeah. So Come back good, to Austria. Not a good Barnes conversion right? Yeah, that's very nice, isn't it? Very nice. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, there's one other game. It's coming up on Monday. Oof. Palace against Brighton. What kind of world, I wonder, are we going to be living in as that game takes place? But take place it will. And, of course, it's a huge match for supporters of both clubs because of the... The long and the, storied history between them. The M23, A23 Classico. Right, OK. As it's sometimes known. I mean, I think, yes. for me, the big thing is Wilf Zahar's on 22 Premier League assists as it stands. If so he can reach 23 in, in the 23, I mean, ESPN have got 30 for 30. I'm all over the 23 and 23. Right. Crystal Palace have been in great form, but it was Brighton who did the double over them in these fixtures last season. So it's going to be big, isn't it? Roy Hodgson update. 100th game for Palace. Right. Manager, as manager. Okay. So maybe they will reward their veteran manager with a win. Okay, that's coming up on Monday. Very shortly on this Totally Football Show, we'll be having a look at some of your questions. And, oh, we'll also have the answer to that puzzler suggested by Dave Ray. Statmeister Dave Ray. 
uh, midweek who was asking who are the seven players who have scored at Stamford Bridge in the Champions League for both Chelsea and for the visiting team. Quite a puzzle of that. Loic Remy the, uh, is, is one of the seven, as we mentioned, but we'll have the, the rest after this. We'll also be answering some of your questions. Right now, though, it's time for some odds. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Hooray! Yes, listeners, it's me, Producer Ben, and I'm here with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Wow, Lee, what a midweek we've had in the Champions League and what a weekend we're going to have in the Premier League. Let's start with Liverpool, please. Can they get five or more against Watford at Anfield? Well, they're one to seven to win this game. Poor old Watford are fourteen to one to get the three points here. Fair to say we don't fancy them, and can you blame us? Liverpool are twenty-one to ten to score four or more times in this match, so we're not as confident as a goal fest as you are. But it is odds on that Jurgen Klopp's men score at least three times. As I said, poor old Watford. A revitalised Everton are taking on Man United. What's Duncan Ferguson's lot going to do against Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's team? Despite the much-fated big dunk effect, we make United the odds-on favourites here. It's 8-11 to 11 they win. Well, they are at home and they are in decent form, so long as you only judge form by their last two fixtures, of course. Everton, though, have an interim manager the whole world is so scared of that everyone's making jokes about how potentially violent he could be. Hilarious. The Toffees are 7-2 to two to win this. David Moyes is back to being favourite for the next manager. Now that is something to be angry about. And finally, Lee, Newcastle and Steve Bruce are in outrageous form. Can they beat Burnley and keep this run going? Hmm. I think you've spotted a discrepancy in our betting, Benjamin. Do you mind if I call you Benjamin? Too late. Done it now. Burnley are odds-on to win this one. And I'm not sure how our traders are so confident about the Clarets. Then again, it was our Christmas party this week. We make Sean Dyche's men 10-11 favourites to win this game. Newcastle are weird, properly weird, and even at 3-1 to it's hard to back them, I think. And yet, they do pull out results at the minute. The draw, which is what I'm going to go for here, is 12-5. to You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply, and when the fun stops, stop. Got a question here from Swan Endu, who says, out of the Champions League teams going into Europa, who stands the best chance of winning it? Will Ajax and Inter, for example, be prioritising this tournament? Lol. Antonio Conte prioritising a European tournament. No. no. Particularly when they've so. got a Scudetto, maybe, on the way for the Precisely, first time. Precisely, that will be his focus. I think Ajax, they've been to the final mm. uh, before. Remember, they lost uh, to Jose Mourinho's Manchester United at that time. Since then, they're a better team. Um, and even though they've lost players, they're still a very savvy European side. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I say Ajax. Why not? Why not? Matt T asks, should a medium-sized, big city-based UK team, brackets, e.g. West Ham or Bolton, close brackets, adopt an athletic Bilbao approach to only fielding locally-born players to hoover up young talent by offering a quick route to the first team? Ooh. It's very much in keeping with the times, isn't it, that? Local players for local I teams. I mean, I think you could say, yeah, a London team. I mean, I would say probably the best team to do it would be Crystal Palace because South London is a probably the world's most renowned hotbed of, of talent, of young players now. So I think if Palace only chose South London-born footballers, um, they would do all right. Brilliant. Duncan, in the interest of topicality, I know you've worked out who's the highest-scoring Premier League player ever with the... Letters of election in his name. Who is it? Uh, it's Laurent Koscielny, 
who uh, decided to leave the country earlier this year. Right. There you go. Uh, now, I think it's time to reveal the answer to uh, ease those vexed brows when we uh, identify the other six players alongside like Rennie, Remy, who scored both for Chelsea and their opposition in a Champions League fixture at Stamford Bridge. Emma, have you got any of these? Torres. Torres. Is my contribution. He is on the list. Emma is oh, correct. Right. Five to go. Duncan, can you offer anything? Uh, Everton legend Samuel Eto'o. Yes, he is on the list too. Ooh, very good. Four more to go. Four I already more. mentioned one. Oh, did you? Well, off air, didn't I? And you said, James, keep it. Well, yeah, but that was off air and now we're on air. <laughs> oh. I can't remember who it was also. Well, that's the thing. That's yeah. why I'm trying to get your memory going. Oh, right. David Louise. David Louise is one as well. Crikey. Three more to go, listener. Help us out here. Well, as I said before. Diego Costa. Yes, Diego Costa is Ray. on there as well. Two so more. There is one player who is in the Chelsea squad at the moment. As we speak. Did it for Shakhtar against... Ah, oh, Willian. 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 There you go. And one name still to go. We could be here a while, listener. Hope you're not on the way anywhere important. You've done quite well, though. This yeah, one more pacey. to go. Oh, give us a clue. Um, I think he specified that he wanted to be paid in euros. Ooh, 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 Michael Ballack. There you go. Michael Ballack. Never mind the Ballack. Here's the Euros. Uh, right. There you go. Brilliant. Emma. Oh, you're going to be on the offside rule straight after this pod, aren't you? I am, yes. With Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. What are you talking about? Nigel Pearson, coincidentally. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, and memorable incidents at press conferences that we've been to. All right, what's your contribution? What's your most memorable incident at a press well, conference? You're going to have to listen to the offside rule, I'm afraid. Well said, Emma. I'm not asking just a little no, teaser. I'm afraid that has been ring fence, yeah, for the offside rule. Mocking content, stealing content. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. Uh, speaking of stealing content, do you know that Emma had a break-in in, in your vehicle this I week? I did, yeah. What got taken, Emma? I'm awfully sorry about that. Um, weirdly enough, my Watford jacket. What kind of jacket was it? 2015, 2016. But, I mean, was it like a Training kind of... coat. I oh, leave yeah. it in the boot of my car just in case it breaks down because it's quite warm. Because Watford used to have those... You know, they used to have really long ones. I remember Luther Blissett used to have one that went all the way down to his ankles. It was a long way. No, this one is just cuts at your waist. Okay. Um, at your waist, at your hips. Yeah, <laughs> oh, fair enough. What colour? Uh, it's black with a Watford badge. I tell you what, though, yes. it does make it unique. It says Hornets player on the back, which was specifically printed because I was presenting for Hornets player. So if you see anyone with that, also wearing a, an alpaca walking rosette. I'm sorry, a what? <laughs> That's also gone missing. A rosette depicting... Yeah, I went, I went alpaca walking about uh -huh. a month ago and left the rosette in my um, glove compartment. What a heist this and, is. <laughs> and, it was, and it was gone. Do you know what, though? It's, it's yellow, which what? makes me think, is it yeah, some kind of Watford fan oh, thief? Well, imagine if Nigel Pearson walks out of <laughs> <laughs> wow. Back a walking rosette. Uh, wow. So there we are. If anyone sees somebody walking around looking a bit shifty with those two items on, there you go. Yeah. Crikey. All right, listeners. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, you're doing five live on Sunday night, aren't you? I am. And the West London derby on Saturday. Brilliant. Being Brentford against Fulham, just for clarification. Yes. Any, any QPR fans out there? Right. Okay. Uh, Meantime, in the Totally Football Network, we've got David Priest is joining us on the Football League show 
uh, which out at the moment took about Sunderland and goalkeeping. And he's going to be with us, I think, uh, when's that? Next week. Next Thursday, when he'll be talking about probably Sunderland and goalkeeping. <laughs> uh, before that, though, we've got two Totally shows, Monday and Tuesday. Monday, featuring very much Michael Cox, Daniel Story and Anton Tului. Tuesday, uh, James, you'll be joining me alongside Rafa, Jules and Alvaro when we'll be breaking down all the weekend action in Europe and especially Monday morning's Europa and Champions League draw. Brilliant. Looking forward to all of that. For now, that's it for this show. Many, many thanks, Emma, for making it in. Thank you for having me. Not at all. James Horncastle. A pleasure, James. And you, Duncan Alexander. Abiento. Exactly. <laughs> all right, <laughs> then, listener. Have yourself a great weekend. Best of luck with everything happening. And we'll see you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.